Welcome to Inspired Artist Podcast with me, Porter Singer. I get to talk with Todd Fink today, but before I tell you about that, I'd like to remind you to subscribe and rate the podcast to help other people find it. So I was introduced to Todd via a friend on Facebook, and I received a link to his TED Talk entitled Beauty is in the Brain of the Beholder. It is about our outlook on flaws, incompleteness, and the temporary and how they can define beauty. So Todd is not only a public speaker, but also a musician. He and his brother formed the Giving Tree Band, and he is also the host of his own podcast called Kind Mind. So I will post all those links in case you want to further explore all that Todd Fink does in the podcast notes. All right, here we go. All right. Well, hi, thanks for doing this with me. Thank you for inviting me. Happy to be joining you today. Yeah. So I watched your TED talk, which was just lovely. My gosh. Oh. Yeah. Thank you. Do you. So I feel like talking about that. Um, do you do you want to talk a little bit about where that idea stemmed from and why you ended up talking about imperfection sure. and impermanence and all that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was traveling in Texas with my girlfriend at the time some years back, and we were in a little art gallery, and I saw this book. I think it was called, uh, I think it was just called Wabi Sabi. And it was uh, filled with Eastern wisdom and Japanese wisdom for artists and poets, designers. And at first I thought, I wasn't sure if it was serious or not because the, the two words sound kind of silly, Wabi Sabi. But then I realized it was com completely serious. And the concepts at first seem strange and silly to me that um, that's something that is uh, kind of rustic and natural and unattended to at times is something to aspire to as uh, as an artist. And when I explored that concept a little bit more deeply, I realized that this was a very special type of wisdom that was mostly lost especially to our western minds and as i started to integrate that into my spiritual life and practice and my work i realized that it was something that was very much needed in our modern culture especially with the themes of around perfectionism and comparing with social media and the the new pressures that we put on ourselves and how that leads to so much self-sabotage. I think if people could have this deeper understanding of beauty, there would be a path to self-acceptance and it would, it would help uh, mitigate so much of the, the mental health issues that surround those themes. Yeah. I work with this woman named Astrid Halverson and she her talent she's a channel but one of her her great talents is telling me how everything i'm talking to her about is about not accepting myself <laughs> so i i just loved obviously um the topic that you chose because it it mm. made so much sense yeah. i find myself coming back to that again and again and also sharing that same 
insight that so much of any type of internal work or spiritual work or healing work really boils down to self-acceptance, which is accepting our past, accepting where we're at right now, accepting the the balance of pieces on the chessboard of our life and just realizing it's time to make the next move. Yeah. I loved the, the image that you gave of the woman um, trying to get the perfect selfie outside mm. of the, the smoothie shop. Um, that was another catalyst for the talk actually. <laughs> right. oh, okay. that and, <laughs> so that was a know, true story. That was a true story. Yeah. 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 But it, yeah. it really reminded me, and, and I had already learned about Wabi Sabi, and then I, I, I could make that connection. Okay, and we have totally wrong idea about, or I, I should say limited idea about what's beautiful. Yeah. Well, and the idea that you brought, that you brought up in it, which I just love it when people make me think about things in different ways, that that's something to actually aspire to, or that like that's something that makes it unique and that, you know, it's so obvious, of course. Yeah, you know, it really is. It it's way. not it's not a complex <laughs> philosophy. It's just that it's hidden in plain sight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I I also really loved your music, so obviously we we can talk about that too. Yeah, but, yeah, that'd be nice. Um, do that as well. Yeah. So you you do most of your music or all of your music with your band? Are you also Todd Fink? Well, I, I write or? some songs. I'm working on some, some independent music, some solo work, but for the most part, I prefer to create everything within the context of our band, the Giving Tree Band, which includes my brother and we have a studio together. So it, it feels, uh, it feels like the right approach to that creative process for me collaborating with other artists and my brother's a producer so i haven't really had any limitations in terms of like the sounds i'm hearing the songs that come to me and then being able to manifest them but lately that's uh that hasn't occupied the same space for me creatively and and that's felt really good because I noticed after years of songwriting that I really wanted to remove all the rules with my podcast, with the TED talk, uh, with writing and so on. It's, it was like, it was really refreshing to know I can just say whatever I want directly. I don't have to make it rhyme or fit within (laughs) three minutes or all those other, um, all those other uh, restrictions that you operate within as an artist they have their benefit. It's sort of like watercolor painting is really wonderful. It's very different than like oil and acrylic, but, but when you expand from there, it it can really be, it can like be liberating for some time. Yeah. That's funny. The, the rhyming thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you're finding other modes of, of expressing yourself. Yeah, I am. I'm enjoying this podcast world. And I've been doing some virtual talks through the pandemic, and now I'm realizing the the potential there to connect with people in more places and even around the world. That's a really wonderful gift that we have 
like we're, like we're able to do right now. So it's, you know, it's an interesting time to be a creative person. It's a complicated time for musical artists when, when many are struggling trying to transition from a world where you could tour and sell your, your art, your album, your CD, whatever it was, because that was really the only way to listen to music. And then eventually we could sell MP3s, but now everything's in the cloud. Everything's streaming for the, for the cost of a CD in the past, you get access to all the music ever recorded for the most part for, for a month. And so navigating that landscape, I think is, is, it's a big challenge for art artists and I, I'm not sure exactly how I feel about all that, but all I can do, like we are talking about with self-acceptance, all I can do is respond in the most positive and optimistic way and make use of these tools. So I can connect with people. I can make a song, put it on my Instagram or on, on Facebook and reach 10 times as many people as I would if it was a concert that was promoted for six months, right? right? How that translates to making a living, I'm not sure for a lot of artists, but, but for me, I, I've, never, I've never been overly concerned about that. I mean, obviously we have to survive and we have to make a living, but with my time, I'm mostly focused on giving what I create. I mean, to me, to create is to give, and and I'm just trying to trust that when you do that, when you give as much as you can to the community, when you're interested in others, when you care for others, that things will work out. Hmm. It is an, a really interesting time for um, for musicians right now. And what's what's weird about my my particular perspective on yeah. that is that I have always wanted to be a recording artist. So now I'm finding like the world is sort of forced to be what I've always wanted to do. And I'm actually yeah. not having the conversation with myself like, well, should I be touring? You know, should I be doing more concerts? Because that's how our mind works. It's like when we're <laughs> meditating, I really should just get the laundry done. And when we yeah. do another work, it's like, I really need to slow down. <laughs> right. So, I mean, for me, it's, it's actually been a little bit of a relief. Um, in terms of like that discussion, not, you know, needing to be had. Um, mm. But, uh, but I know for a lot of people, you know, that was not just the way that they made a living, but like something that they were really passionate about and loved. Um, and absolutely. Uh, and it seems like that's something that is in your, um, you know, what something that you have been doing. So do you yeah. miss it? Oh, totally, totally. And it's, it's interesting because at the end of last year, our group thought it'd be a good time to take some extended time off. So we weren't planning to perform in 2020 anyway. And that felt really good to know that, okay, I'll have all that time and space to work on these other projects. And same with my brother and my bandmates. They, they have some other business that they're building and that was good for them too. But now knowing that I can't play and I don't know when I could play again, it's like, it's a little embarrassing almost to know that I was willing to just not perform. And, and it, when you realize that that is something that could be taken for granted, the, the gift of live music, being on a stage, connecting in person with people is like such a, 
such a magical experience. Right. And now, yeah, I, I miss it. I can't wait till that opportunity comes again. Yeah, I didn't expect to miss it so either, but I, I, mm-hmm. I do. So strange, strange. It time. really is. <laughs> yeah. Where are you right now in the world, if I may ask? Um, at my home outside of Chicago, it's a little town called Yorkville. Okay. And this is where I've been most of my adult life, almost 20 years. But I have made, uh, spent some extended time this year in California, your family. And I spend a lot of time in New Mexico as well. Oh, okay. We're in New Mexico. Near Santa Fe. Okay. I've spent a lot of time near Santa Fe. Mm-hmm. How about you? Where are you? I'm in Washington outside of Seattle. Oh, okay. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, it's, I was in Phoenix before, mm-hmm. and I feel really grateful that I ended up being here for this period because there's so much access to trees and uh, walks and, you know, the things that weren't closed. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if you had access to that during those more uh, restrictive periods yeah that was a real blessing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. are you in are you in like a you said it's outside of chicago so i'm assuming it's it's a little more rural okay yeah. there's forests and there's trees behind us and nature space so that's always important to me whenever whenever i think about where i would stay for a while or live having yeah. access to nature so is banjo your main instrument? You... It is now, but I, I started on guitar and I still play guitar. I just got a new guitar last month and it's like my dream guitar. So I, I'm, I'm getting a lot more back into that instrument. But when you get the paintbrush that feels like it's a part of you or an extension of your, your body, it really opens up creative possibilities it's always been the case for me anytime i've even touched a different instrument that it immediately like unlocks channels to music and to lyrics and songs it's like each instrument has its own story it's trying to tell but now i feel like i have the the best guitar i've ever played in my life and i'm i'm grateful and even if i could afford a a, a good guitar in the past I, I wouldn't have even known what the right relationship would be. I mean, I had a guitar in college that cost like a hundred dollars and I thought there's no better guitar. (laughs) (laughs) No guitar can play any better than this, but I had a long way to go to learn about what goes into the craftsmanship of instruments. Yeah. The banjo seems so space specific to me. Like it's, um, I don't know, from the South uh, or, or, or I guess like the, where 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 is the banjo from? Well, the banjo like has but. has some roots in in our country in the Appalachian region of America, and it's common in in bluegrass, which has been prominent in some southern states like Kentucky. But it has actually has uh, deeper origins in Africa because I it's a drum I and heard that. yeah and the percussive nature of the instrument and it's you know it's it's mostly associated with country music and bluegrass in america but 
its application has extended far beyond that now. You can hear it in a lot of rock and roll. If you listen carefully, you'll hear banjo in a lot of Neil Young songs and Bob Dylan and the band and then country fusion groups like the Eagles. And I kind of grew up with classic rock in my mm-hmm. of my parents. And that was my introduction to banjo, hearing it more in a rock and roll setting. So that's always been my approach. And since I played guitar first, I really don't, I don't think of myself as a country musician or bluegrass musician. I just really like the possibilities on the banjo, its percussive nature and uh, the richness that comes with its history and tone. And I feel like there's still much more exploring to do with its its sound. Mm. Uh, yeah, it has a very unique sound. And it, mm-hmm. for me, it conjures up an image when I hear it, but I'm, it sounds like for you, it, it conjures, I mean, I guess we all have our own images of what. Yeah, it does. It does conjure up d- different images, but it also depends on, it depends on a lot of things, the mood, uh, the other instruments involved. We've been pretty experimental in the Giving Tree Band, with even when it's mostly acoustic. I've I've really uh, worked with a lot of wonderful creative engineering minds to amplify the banjo. Um, and my my brothers spent a lot of time with with uh, the technical design of of capturing the sound of the banjo because it's a tricky instrument with this drum you can easily get a lot of feedback a lot of reverb when you're performing or when you're in the studio and and so it takes a a lot of ingenuity to organize the sound of the banjo and and our group has been really proud to be able to take the vol just the volume of the instrument to the levels of like uh, electric guitars and electric bass and electric drums or uh, or live drums and be able to get the banjo to to get over the top of all that and it's been such a, a successful project just trying to amplify the banjo that we've had so many other artists reach out for advice and guidance and to consult with us just to figure out how they can get their their banjo to be integrated into a, a rock and roll sound. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's, that's what happens when I hear somebody record harmonium really well. I'm like, how did you sure. do that? Sure, right? <laughs> because very because well. of its acoustic nature and when you have naturally louder instruments or more percussive instruments, it can, it can kind of get lost in that. But yeah, it's a similar... What, similar approach. What is percussive about the banjo? I feel like that that kind of surprised me. When you pluck it, is there actually like a, a well, something being hit? Usually, it's played with fine? with a thumb pick and um, and finger picks. So you're actually striking the strings with a with a, at least three fingers, conventionally. Okay. And so it's really all about attack because it's um, it's its tone is bright and it doesn't have a lot of sustain like compared to the guitar or a piano when you can press the pedal on a piano or of course something like a violin or a harmonium has has much more sustain of tone the banjo's sound decays very quickly which is partly why 
players play it so quickly or play so many notes and, and give it that uh, accelerated rhythm, it's because the notes don't last very long. So it, it, it tends to take on more rhythm than melody. Mm. You know, the melody is often performed by singers, by violins, organs, piano. But banjo typically is more of an accompaniment instrument. And that's something that we try to work on too, because yeah, ordinarily you you think of it as having that percussive nature. But we've amplified the instrument, and and I've had a, a custom banjo built with um, electric guitar pickups with what's called humbuckers, so that it can be played through an electric guitar amp, and even with distortion, and and effects racks and and so on. So, yeah. It starts there, but but there's a lot of places you can go with it now. Wow, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think it's neat. It's fascinating. Like I enjoy that part of the the musical process as much as performing or songwriting and recording. the The construction of of the instruments and the construction of of the sound. That's really neat. I had never asked questions about banjo before, and I really appreciate (laughs) (laughs) your your knowing. Um, Sometimes I ask people questions about things that they talk about, and and, um, they're like, well, I'm not really, (laughs) I don't really know a lot about that. Well, and I still don't feel like I know much about (laughs) it, but I have spent a lot of time in working with who I think are just geniuses, like the, the founder of EMG pickups. Pickups are the, um, the the way that the sound is transduced from the strings and captured as a signal that can be sent to amplifiers. And there's so much science that goes into it, but Rob Turner at EMG and I have connected. I, I discovered a, a banjo pickup that that he created that was truly innovative and brilliant and allowed the instrument to be able to perform in a way that previously was only reserved for fully electric instruments while preserving the integrity of the tone of the, of the banjo. See, that's the challenge when you try to amplify an acoustic instrument, same, same is true with guitar or even the harmonium that if you change the sound too much the, when you're converting the signal f- from the strings, that you lose too much of the tone. That's always the challenge is preserving the tone and increasing the volume. Mm. So uh, I've been able to work pretty closely with, with that company and see how people whose entire lives and work is dedicated only to amplification and the science of acoustic amplification and electric amplification. So it's, it's, it's neat because there's a whole other world there where people are as, as passionate about what they're creating as artists, the artists are. And I mean, I consider them artists too. It's just a behind the scenes artists. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to me too, that you, you were playing the banjo for that TEDx talk Mm about impermanence and you're talking about how it doesn't have much sustain mm-hmm. when you when you have the the racks and effects and all that stuff are you 
are you adding sustain to it? Like, are you sometimes, yeah, sometimes adding sustain and phase and chords. Yeah, to create different effects. The effects create different textures, and that it, that impacts the mood of the music. Uh, but it also it also takes the banjo into new territory, I think, because that's not how it's conventionally used. Mm -hmm. But yeah, but the banjo just acoustically and its natural brevity of of sound and tone is sort of like um, a Buddha board. If you've ever seen one of those, it's like a little. No. It's a little canvas for painting with watercolors, or just painting with water. But after about an hour or so, maybe less, the image that you paint on it is gone. And it's for helping people to be able to sit with impermanence and actually yeah. feel the, the decay and work on accepting that. Similar to the way Buddhist monks create mandalas yeah. with sand. And they take all this care and time, weeks or months, to make this exquisite piece. And they look at it. For a few moments and then they just get out the brooms and they sweep it all away yeah it's for living in the present moment for learning to let go yeah i remember the first time i, I went to uh i think it was a matisse museum because he found oh, i hope i might be wrong but i think that's what it was it was the matisse museum and i think he found buddhism later on in his life and that was the reason why these books were here is that mm -hmm. That I sound, think that's accurate. Yeah. Does that sound right? Okay. And so, yeah, I remember for the first time as a teenager seeing these, these monks create um, a mandala and then reading about how they were going to, you know, just uh, let it go after it was done and thinking that that was so cool. Um, yeah. And it's hard for a lot of people to let go. Mm -hmm. Especially artists. We start to feel attached to what we think we create, but really it's more like what comes through us, what's utilizing the organs in this body, the, the sense organs of perception, and it's channeling through people. And you never know like where it's going to come from. It could be coming from dreams. I mean, so many of our songs have been pretty much written in dreams. And then you can, if you're fortunate enough to remember it, you can recreate it. But when I see it in that light, it helps me with acceptance because I don't see it as something that is mine. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, I mean, especially when it's something you put out for others and you share with others, it takes on its own life and it becomes what it becomes for other people. And it's, it's theirs as much as anyone else's. Mm -hmm. That's, that's interesting that your songs come from, a lot of them come from dreams. When I, when I was listening to your music, it, it sounded very dreamy and uplifting. And, but it, it, it was, I'm not very great at describing, <laughs> describing music. I just enjoy it. But, but like it was, it was sort of swoosh, you know, like it, 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 um, it was... <laughs> It was swishy. I don't know, like, like kind of swishy's like swishy's a good word. Yeah, swishy. <laughs> Let's use onomatopoeia. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. I'm not a music reviewer. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither, but I think that works. You know, swishy and yeah, so, so that little bit of ephemeral quality, and and I think that's 
I, I appreciate you saying that because that that is definitely something that we hope comes through in the sound that the magic of of music and it's not so easy to create that kind of dreamlike feeling with acoustic instruments mm-hmm. obviously with synthesizers and computers you can create a lot more textures so doing that in a in a group that's predominantly acoustic i think is special how, how far do you take the acousticness like do you guys record on tape or do uh are you accepting the the digital recording techniques? We we usually do everything digitally now. Um, we've had experiences in the past where we've used analog captures, uh, but only one album or one or two no two albums. Shoot, maybe even three albums have been entirely acoustic, but. But only one, one, two, or three, I can't remember, have been not only acoustic, but all live in the studio. Oh, so yeah. everybody's playing at the same time. And then later we started getting into overdubbing and ha- having one track at a time or one player at a time. We, we've approached it in different ways. But no, we don't feel any particular rules with that. We'll have music now, song recordings now that are mostly acoustic but may even include some synthesizers, some computer-generated tones, some electronic music. Yeah, so we're pretty pretty open to all approaches. Yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I, I was recording with this, um, this man in Phoenix, and he, he was from the, the older era. Um, he had all these such amazing equipment, cool guitars and stuff that I don't play with, the person who was, who was recording with me did. But he he um, processed my vocals, I think, through an analog um, through an analog board, and it. I mean, it that's was, what we do. It was yeah. awesome. Okay. Yeah, and it can create a certain warmth that's hard to put into words, but it really can make a, make that come alive. Um, like the analog board we we use, it's old. It's uh, it was popular in the 80s, a little bit in the 90s. It's similar to what Tom Petty used on um, on some albums like Wild Flowers, if you remember that. Mm-hmm. I think that was early 90s. But there's a certain warmth that kind of cradles all the acoustic instruments. Yeah. Yeah, the, it was interesting because to his ear, like there were some things one of his approaches was to use a ton of microphones for, for, for recording one instrument. So you're getting all these different angles, but it created kind of like, um, like a tape hiss almost like it, like mm. it created like a, like extra noise in the, and it wasn't something that bothered him. Cause I guess that was, that was something that you would hear on, on older recordings, you know? Sure. And, and for me, I was like, you know, I don't think I really want that artifact, um, in, in this, um, in this recording do you guys like you guys how do you guys feel about about having sounds like that do you prefer them or or like well i mean again i would come back to wabi sabi yeah if it's some something that you're artificially generating no you know I, i would i wouldn't necessarily want to keep that but sometimes that can happen organically 
And depending on, on what that artifact is, it can really be something that is spontaneous and magical and may never happen again. I mean, it could be something that just happened in such a way could be because the battery was going out or something and gave a, a certain kind of hum or buzz that that enhances the experience so it, it just depends but we you know everybody in our group has a little bit different feeling about that i know a couple of us are um, mandolin and keyboardist and guitarist norm he loves this concept of wabi-sabi also it's so when things happen if if a mistake happens even i mean he's he can he can be pretty excited about mistakes even and, and feel as though like we'll never make a mistake like that <laughs> again we could try over and over and you'll never be able to fail in quite the same way and uh and therefore it's worth preserving <laughs> <laughs> What does that look like? Like, like you, you play a wrong note or like you stop and then start again? Like, like you would, you would keep that as part of the track? Yeah, it could, it could be anything like that. It, it could be a certain kind of buzz or a slip of mm -hmm. a plectrum or the way the hand accidentally touches the wrong string and, and creates a certain kind of dissonance that, you know, maybe nearly impossible to discover again. It, it could be any of those things. That's really, that's really interesting for, that was yeah. something that really got me thinking about when you were talking about um, the way that music is created now and how it's because it's so quote unquote perfect, which it probably, I mean, honestly, probably never is. Like the people who are making it probably feel like they could keep working on it, but you know, to. to well, that's what perfectionism do. is, right? That, <laughs> right? that there's no end. Right. Yeah. And, and that's a problem too. For a lot of artists, that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. At some point you just have to call it because yes, you can always keep pruning the bonsai tree, but at some point you're depriving your audience or the community of the beauty of this offering. And you're holding yourself back from the next project that's, that awaits you. I like that. Yeah. I feel that way a lot. Um, actually, it's it's something I've I've only just sort of embraced for the last few years. But it's funny how much more you actually end up releasing when you're, when you're, when you're like done next. Yeah, that's true, and and that's really you know I think that's a that's an important feature of wabi sabi as well to just allow imperfection to be, and every time you learn something you can't start with, you know, your greatest hits. I know <laughs> there was a band, uh, Umphreys McGee, I think one, one of their earlier albums is called greatest hits volume two. <laughs> Which I think is, uh, you know, it's, uh, refers to perfectionism and humor. It was funny. Cause the day that, and now I don't even remember who, who suggested that I contact you. Um, but somebody did. They, um, I had to kind of like a call out to like, who should Jenny? I? Jenny? Yes, that's right. Absolutely. That was exactly it. She's great. We're, yeah. Um, but I don't even know where I was going with that. Oh, yes. I was list I had just discovered that Alanis Morissette 
now has a musical. <laughs> so she now has a Broadway musical called Jaggy Little Pill, or it has for a year. I'm, I'm really late to the, to the party. Um, but I rediscovered her song, Perfect. And as I was listening to it with my, you know, my fresh ears, because I listened to that music when I was a teenager, um, I was like, oh my God, that's like a conversation that I have with myself. Like, it's not just, I don't know if you know that song, but it, it sounds like parents talking to their children about how they need to improve and whatever. But, um, but I realized, well, no, that's a conversation that probably a lot of us have with our, with ourself, you know, like, why aren't you better? Oh yeah. Yeah. So it was cool that I, um, also on that same day, listened to your, your Ted talk. That is very cool. And I got to check that out from Alanis. Yeah. I I think I would dig that. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, it's, it is a, it's kind of a crazy disease actually, because I don't, you know, like we were, like we were saying, like the, the disease of perfectionism is that there's actually, there is no perfect. Right. Nothing that we would all agree on. Yeah. You know, if you, if we tried to pick the perfect pizza or ice cream sundae, we probably wouldn't get very far before someone doesn't want nuts or someone doesn't want jalapenos on the pizza, you know. <laughs> so what is what is perfect? Our brains evolve to really want and to, well to believe that there are these neat categories for everything. But the reality is that things are all fluid and like on a continuum like things are good-ish and bad-ish or right-ish and wrong-ish right but our our brains want to clearly categorize everything and that's just not how the the world really is or that's not what we find to be find enough evidence to support when you drill in to the details of existence more yeah have you been in a period of your life where you were on like the other end of that spectrum, not wabi-sabi? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. And I, I mean, I think that I still can fall prey to that tendency at times. I think we're kind of raised that way. We're raised to put things into boxes. And what I experienced along the way was that it was a source of anxiety. And if you really trace, your anxiety, if you really follow it to its source, you start to realize that there are some patterns within us that that may be useful up to a point. There are reasons to have concepts and to conceptualize things and to categorize things, but at some point it can become self-defeating. Did it get to a point where you had to have that conversation with yourself about about perfectionism or uh, I, w- I wouldn't say perfectionism was something that I struggled with too much but expectations for sure mm-hmm. and there's probably some overlap there the way I thought things should be not because I thought that it's necessarily perfect but it was the way I envisioned the order of events would go in my life Um, and also what I expect other people, the way I expect other people to treat me in a relationship, in a band, in work, and 
Yeah, there's something adjacent to perfectionism there. And that was a source of my anxiety, expectations. And they manifest in our thoughts when we're saying all these things we should be doing or what other people should be doing. So it's similar to perfectionism in the sense that you have this ideal, right? It's different in that I don't think that whatever those ideals were, were what everyone else should uh, or would, would agree as perfect. Mm-hmm. But it's what felt like the right order or the right arrangement of experiences and events for my life. And at some point, if you want to be sane and, and you want to. Uh, yes, please. <laughs> right. And if you want to have inner peace, you have to accept that life or the universe has its own order. And you can work with that. You can maybe co-author with that. But if you if you impose your will mentally, you'll just be harming yourself ultimately. I'm curious. And I'm not saying that that's like, that's something that I'm perfect at. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not, but it's a practice. It's a spiritual practice and it's about cultivating equanimity in the present moment. Mm -hmm. I I find that musicians, well, actually, this is something that my ex-husband made me aware of that I'd never really thought about before, but he, he used to, for this festival that, that I, I helped with and, and played out, he, he used to be one of the sound people, and he would hear the musicians talk about themselves after they would play, and he came to the conclusions that musicians were just like the hardest people on themselves that he'd ever, you know, encountered, um, and uh, I was like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that sounds about right. Um, but that was one of the things that I, I really liked about getting into um, the, because I started doing like yoga music from kind of springboarding off of singer songwriting and um, doing yoga music. And I just found that, you know, the audience was so much more forgiving um, because probably there wasn't a lot of expectation about how it should sound. And I wonder whether that's something that you've, you've encountered a lot where you just, you get off stage and you just like go, well, my God, I could have done so much better. <laughs> <laughs> that is for sure and not just me our whole group i mean it would go for hours sometimes where we're just you know critically combing through every note of the performance and you know, you're right you're right i mean there's i think that perfectionism needs to be mitigated with excellence working towards excellence right mm. because you don't want to like fall over into indifference or laziness with, with your craft, but, but you're absolutely right that the audience for the most part doesn't come to analyze what you're doing. We come to experience music, to enjoy music the same way we, we go to a movie. I mean, afterwards we'll, we'll probably have an opinion about the movie, but during the movie, we don't want somebody analyzing whether or not that looks real or whether or not that, that line was delivered good enough. You would just be like, Hey, Hey, I'm just, I'm just watching this right now. You know, and, <laughs> I live with that person, by the way. <laughs> and, and music's the same way. And we don't realize that as the artists or the ones performing that what sounds like this huge mistake to us is probably going to be completely undetected by the audience because you can call it forgiving. But that's not what they're there for. You know, people are there to be free, to dance, to, to listen, to enjoy. 
to transcend, you know? And so it's like, you don't want to take yourself too seriously in all of that because that really is the important thing is transcendence. And if we can support that and if we can feel that we can connect with our brothers and sisters on the stage and then connect with the brothers and sisters in the audience and we all get to this special place together, well, then mission accomplished, you know? And if you um, played the wrong note or something like that along the way, then it's not a big deal. Yeah. To me, what's a, what's matters more is one's attitude on the stage. You know, because it's one thing where it's like, you you recognize like a person wasn't enthusiastic, wasn't present, wasn't bringing the the energy. When I think of virtuosity in music, I'm I'm no virtuoso, but but it has this root word of virtue, and so I don't think of virtuosity in in that in the performance as just limited to like speed and technical prowess and those kind of qualities but really what you would think of in in terms of trying to live an authentic virtuous life being honest was was it delivered honestly was there integrity behind what you're playing or or was it arrogant or was it um unfocused right and and so there's so many of those values that we can actually bring to our playing and I tend to look at it in in that way. If I know my bandmates were going for it because they were on the pulse, they were um, attempting to bring the best of themselves to the moment. And and if you're really going to do that, I mean, it's gonna it's gonna be like surfing. You're you could fall, right? If you play it safe and you don't go out into the deep end, yeah, uh, there's low risk there, but but I have no problem with people really trying to bring the best of themselves to the moment. And, and that may mean something happens that in a conventional sense, you would call a mistake. But I think the real mistake, if there are any, would be to just miss the gift of the offering, miss the gift of the, the circular connection with the audience. They're listening, they're paying attention, they're dancing, they're giving and we're receiving that energy and giving it back. And it's, it's magic. It's, it's like the closest thing to magic that, that I'm familiar with. And uh, it's a, it would be dis- disappointing to have not been, been fully present for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that, that's almost as, I feel like requires almost as much training as your instrument, you know, getting yeah. that, like, right. What is it? Now, like I wouldn't know in your experience, but I I would imagine that that that's what you're trying to do. Like almost like words and the performance probably become secondary at some point, right? To to the spirituality of singing and chant and togetherness and and all that, right? So. So yeah, it can be well, easy to get distracted from that higher purpose of why why you're sharing the sound in the first place. Yeah. Well, I would say I would say that actually that's something that I've that's been kind of a gift of of chanting mantra. I I don't do it as much anymore. Um, it's been maybe about it's been a little while since I've released anything that 
this mantra, I think, maybe like a year. But I, because because I'm sort of transitioning into doing more singer songwriter stuff again. But um, but that that was sort of the gift of it is that because there's not a ton of lyrics and most of the musical instrumental element is repetitive, as well as mm -hmm. the you know that you can kind of get you kind of you can kind of lose yourself in it. Um, the most important part becomes people having a good time, you know. Uh, right. It's not, it doesn't feel like so much of a performance because it really isn't. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I kind of feel that about rock and roll. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it, it's not, it's not that it is so different. It's that the way that we think about it might be. Mm. Yeah. So it was good training. Yeah. Thank you so much, Todd, for. Oh yeah, this that. has been great. It's, yeah. I love talking about creativity <laughs> and spirituality and. I can tell. All of it, so, yeah, I appreciate making time and thinking to invite me. Yeah, absolutely. I will uh, thank Jenny. <laughs> yes, please do. Yeah. Um, so if people want to find out more about you, and I'll include these links in the podcast notes, um, you want to just share where? Yeah, where they, they're you? welcome to visit my website, michaeltoddfink.com. And there you will find links to my music and to our band, the Giving Tree Band. And events that I'm a part of. I have a podcast called Kind Mind. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can find the Giving Tree Band on Spotify. And uh, my social media handle is at Michael Todd Fink. Cool. So I'd love to connect with people on any of those places. And it will be clickable and easy to access for all. Awesome. Great. Thanks so much. Have a great week. <laughs> I'll let you know when it comes Take care. Out. Best wishes. Yeah, you okay. too. I appreciate Bye. it. Bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Inspired Artists. Please remember to subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you're listening. It helps other people find it. Thanks.